2: A big old football Monday here on Home and Home. The beatdown in Baltimore reshuffles the deck and the NFL leaves us with just one undefeated team as we start the second half of this NFL season and the Cleveland Browns are a three alarm dumpster fire and one of their players threatened lives on Twitter on Sunday. What a week it's been thus far in the NFL. Home on homeradio.com, Sports Original. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. They are, folks, the smartest way to hire. Got it all covered for you on this football Monday in the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, We'll talk with our friends in the Wall Street Journal. No, not about finance or Wall Street, but Andrew Beaton covers the NFL. What is going on with the Jets, man? The Jets got the bags. The bags are out for Jets fans. It is ugly. And speaking of ugly, the Cleveland Browns, Baker Mayfield, looked like the guy you call the police on if he shows up at your kid's school and he was even worse on the football field. How does Cleveland turn it around? We'll go to Cleveland in the 9 o'clock hour, 92-3. The fan in Cleveland, also the 10 o'clock hour. Jonas Schaefer tells us how. How Lamar Jackson did it to Bill Belichick's defense, knocking them from the ranks of the undefeated Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Sun. I'm Dave Briggs, not home today on Home and Home in New York City. Ross Tucker is home from a very interesting weekend, which we will get to later in the show, including his first football game in the stands with his wife. We'll get to that in a minute, Ross, but I just I have to eat crow as we start this day because I was certain that the New England Patriots would shut down Lamar Jackson for one very simple reason. Bill Belichick in my lifetime and yours has always done one thing well, and that's shut down the one thing Your team does best. So all they had to do is contain Lamar Jackson and make him beat them through the air. They couldn't do it. Why not?
3: Because it's a lot easier said than done. And don't beat yourself up too much, Dave. You had a good call with the Texans all over the Jags over across the pond. Number one, number two, the only thing I'm certain about when it comes to the NFL is that I'm not really certain about anything on a week-to-week basis. I mean, what? Wasn't it it a couple weeks ago that the Cleveland Browns smashed the Ravens in Baltimore? Now we have on the same day (laughs) the Browns losing in Denver in embarrassing fashion and the Ravens destroying the undefeated Patriots. So anyone that acts like or thinks they have it all figured out, Those are the people you really need to worry about because they don't. I'll be the first one to admit I don't have it all figured out. I feel like I have a pretty good sense for things from time to time. I thought the Jaguars were going to play much better against the beat-up Texans bunch over there in London. But the reason why the Patriots were not able to slow down Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, and I've talked about this, I've written about it, it's because, Dave, the quarterback – centric run game quarterback focused run game is deadly it is i'm not gonna say it's impossible to defend it is very very hard to defend especially when you really only see it once a year once or twice a year maybe in college football and when you have a guy like lamar jackson Running it. I mean, that's the reality of things right now. I see it almost every week in the college game. Heck, I called the Army at Air Force game Saturday. They both have run-based quarterback attacks. And when you just see the pressure that puts on the defense, when they no longer have an extra guy, they no longer have a, a man advantage, you can get a guy on every guy, a hat on a hat, as they say. You can get... A helmet for a helmet, and make sure every guy is responsible for and and accounted for. And then when you can not only do that, but you start to do a little trickery, trickeration, whatever you want to call it, with the ball, and putting the ball in a belly, pulling it, pitching it every once in a while. I mean, it's tough. It it is really really tough. And we saw that uh, the Ravens jumped all over the Patriots. Early in the game felt like the Patriots settled in a little bit after that. The fumbles by Cyrus Jones and Mark Ingram gave the Patriots a chance. I think like a lot of people I was sitting there thinking, okay, here we go again. Even though the Ravens are dominating and they should be two Mm -hmm. fumbles Patriots only down 17, 13. I've seen how this story goes, but it was a costly mistake by the Patriots. Julian Edelman fumbles. Marlon Humphrey, again, takes it back to the house that really gave the Ravens a chance to get the lead again, uh, extend the lead that they would not relinquish. Impressive performance by the Ravens all the way around. In particular, Lamar Jackson, I thought, threw the ball pretty well in the second half of that game and all the tight ends that the Ravens have when they needed them to. Incredibly impressive performance by the Ravens. And what a wild day. I I was talking to a guy, you'll appreciate this, Dave. I was talking to a guy, I'm trying to think, what, uh, Thursday night maybe? No, Monday night, a buddy of mine from college that had a substantial amount of money bet before the season that the Patriots would go undefeated and that the (laughs) Dolphins would go winless. And up until yesterday, he was feeling pretty darn good about it he, was, he stood to make a lot of money from that, and he went down twice, twice yesterday in the same day. Better that than
2: wait till like week 14 or week 15 <laughs> and, and at least feel like you have a chance. Better to rip off that Band-Aid as we start the second half. Turnovers did play a huge role in this football game. I thought that muffed punt late in the first half, it might have been an ugly blowout if it weren't for that that allowed the Patriots to get back in there and then the turnover you mentioned the Julian Edelman fumble Marlon Humphrey goes but the Tom Brady interception late in this game was really an inexcusable pass for the goat but it comes down to Lamar Jackson it's like a major league pitcher telling you he's going to throw you a fastball and you're still able to get it by him that is so impressive about what Lamar Jackson is doing you know exactly what's coming And you still can't do anything about it, even though you have a historically good defense by the numbers and one of the great coaches of all time in Bill Belichick. It is a stunning performance, whether or not you predicted Baltimore would win this game, which a lot of national experts did to their credit. Three total touchdowns for Lamar Jackson. He said before the game, Tom Brady is the goat of all goats. Here's what he said afterwards about playing TB12. Uh, I'm trying to win versus anybody I play. I don't really dwell on one player or, you know, it's just this guy I want to beat. You know, um, like I said before, that's still the GOAT. No, nothing changed that.
3: Um, I'm, I'm happy to get the win, of course, um, especially at MLT Bank Stadium. So
0: it's pretty cool, but I don't really care because it's to get Tom Brady. I just want to win. What is going
3: through
2: your mind when you hear the MVP chant break out in the crowd? We got a lot of season left to play, so don't worry about next game. I don't really care about that. I appreciate it. Lamar Jackson, after playing the great Tom Brady and taking him out, here's Earl Thomas with how good he thinks Lamar Jackson is playing now.
3: I'm I'm right with the crowd. I mean that. Like man, this man is the MVP's. Uh, I'm right behind him. I'm backing him. Uh, you know, he 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 makes my job easier. And you know, when you finish a game like that, man, it's, it's just a sour relief again on us us on defense. We, if we ain't gotta have the pressure on us, we don't want the pressure now. But if if it comes to it, we'll
0: we'll, we'll deal with it. But. It's
3: good when those guys capitalize for us.
2: What you're seeing is this defense energized, not just by Lamar Jackson and the electricity he brings to the football field, but what you heard in some other post-game comments were guys saying, man, the way they are eating up the – clock we get to sit back there we get to catch our breath we get to chat with our teammates a little bit I know I, I go to the stat too often but it is very indicative of an offense dominating on the field time of possession 37 to 22 in favor of Baltimore and that is making all the world a difference for keeping the Patriots off the field but also giving that defense a chance to rest and get after Tom Brady and they hit him early and often in this game but to the point that earl thomas is making ross it seems like a no-brainer at this point given the way he has turned things around for baltimore lamar jackson clearly in the mvp conversation is he on top of it
3: you know we we always i feel like take this temperature this pulse on a weekly basis and i get it you know it's fun it's a fun thing to talk about i think after last night's performance uh, it's A and B for me between Lamar Jackson and Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson found a way to get it done again on a day in which his Seahawks gave up 34 points to Jameis Winston and the Tampa Bay Bucks. Russell Wilson still got it done like he always does, especially in overtime. So those two guys are intertwined for me right now. Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson. I know there was a lot of Aaron Rodgers love. But holy cow, oh. and that's what's so funny and, and and really why we probably shouldn't do this on a week-to-week basis. We should probably at least do it every quarter of the season because Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, all this conversation, all this love for Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, they're a match made in heaven, MVP. They did nothing against the Chargers. They got a garbage touchdown when they were down by three scores late in the game to make the score not look that terrible. I mean, that's how bad the, on our show, San Diego Chargers, shut Mm -hmm. down the Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. So it's just funny, if you you do the MVP stuff on a week-to-week basis, and I know we do, and the same thing with the Heisman, Aaron Rodgers might have gone from one to four (laughs) or five based on what happened yesterday. And if Lamar Jackson was down lurking at three, maybe four, he's right up there with Russell Wilson after that performance. Although, And I know he won't win it. I'll just yeah. throw this out there. Dave: The two most consistent players, and one of them didn't play yesterday, but the two most consistent offensive skill guys in the NFL, and they have been now for a year and a half, are Christian McCaffrey of the Carolina Panthers and Michael Thomas of the New Orleans Saints. It's crazy. Look at their stats. Every yep. single week. You know how hard that is to do in the NFL? When all week, I've been in those meetings. All week, the, the coaches are saying, we got to stop McCaffrey. We, Michael Thomas is the key. Can't let Michael. Every week, those guys deliver. Week in week out. It's super impressive. The only issue for them is they're not quarterbacks. They're not winning the MVP right now. It's Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson. And I think those guys have a pretty darn good shot of being in the thick of things at the end of this thing as well.
2: I think another quarterback will be in the conversation. And Deshaun Watson put on another clinic over there in London uh, and and talked about Popeye's spicy chicken could be the cure-all to an injury. We'll talk about that later on. But to finish up on the Sunday night game, I think the question moving forward on the other side of the football is, how big a problem is that hole in the Patriots' defense It's not just a mobile quarterback, they have been exposed as a defense that doesn't defend well against the run. You remember what Nick Chubb did to that defense? And that was a Cleveland offense that couldn't do a thing. Here is Bill Belichick on what happened out there.
0: All right, there's really not much to say tonight. Um, Obviously we didn't do anything well enough to deserve to win. Certainly didn't coach well enough. Just didn't do anything well enough. So give them credit, they're better than we were tonight. Certainly a better team, and, um, you know, we just all got to do a better job. So I don't know what else there is to say. Is there something specific that you
1: felt you didn't have the team prepared
0: for? What's obvious? I mean, did you see the game tonight?
2: <laughs> a surly Bill Belichick, which you would come to expect after an awful loss like that. He's right. They were out coached, They were outplayed on every cent of the game. They get a bye. They get to go home and get things right. But things aren't going to change out of that bind because the three games out of it, at Philly, home for Dallas, at Houston, three teams that are running the football very well are very committed to the run game. How big a problem is that run defense? That is clearly the playbook teams are going to look to exploit in the weeks ahead, Ross.
3: Well, I think that remains to be seen. You know, I think Belichick... Look, I'm not going to say that he wants teams to run on him, right? I, I'm not going to say that he likes teams going over 150 yards rushing because that's definitely not the case. I will submit this to you, though. I think that Bill Belichick believes it, you know, to win in the NFL, it's really primarily through the passing game and that that's where they get big chunks of yardage. And that's usually where points come. I think he studied. The analytics, he's seen the math and realizes in some way, kind of like what he did back in that famous Giants Bills Super Bowl, where he said, Guys, we're going to let Thurman Thomas run for a bunch of yards. I think he realizes that if you're going to win running, Dave, you're going to have to have consistent long drives. You know, you're not going to have 20, 30, 40 yard runs like you can get in the passing game, those chunk plays. So I don't think on any level he's conceding the run game. I don't think he wants, for example, teams to run the ball down their throat, but I also think he does not want to give up big plays in the passing game. And against some of these teams like the Browns a week ago, he recognizes Mm -hmm. that, okay, even if they do have some success running it, it's probably going to be an eight to 12 play drive. And, They're probably going to get a penalty. They're probably going to make a mistake. And they're probably not going to be able to get a touchdown out of it. So I think that remains to be seen. Again, I think they're going to want to be better on run defense. But I don't think that that's priority number one or as much of a concern for the Patriots as maybe we would think it would be. Okay, what about Tom Brady though? Because look,
2: the numbers at the end of the day aren't terrible. 30 of 46, 285, a touchdown and a pick. I thought the pick was brutal. It felt like the game we played as kids, 500 where you just throw it up there and hope, and that was when they were still in that football game that felt like it was the nail in the coffin. This offense has no identity. They can't run the ball successfully. Uh, consistently and yes there are two wide receivers that get 10 catches but there is not a playmaker there's not a game breaker out there and this offense seems to have no identity here's Brady after the loss
3: I give them a lot of credit they played a good game Um, yeah they made a lot of plays offensively defensively and uh, we just didn't match it so you know come on the road you got to play well in all three phases and You know, we just offensively didn't do a good enough job. Um, Too many missed opportunities out there. You know, losses always find a way to recalibrate, you know, how you see yourself. And, um,
0: you know, we obviously have a lot of work to do.
2: A lot of work to do. Clearly, they're going to be around. I think it's safe to say you could probably pencil this team in for the AFC Championship, given the schedule, given how the season sets up, and whether it's Baltimore or Kansas City, once they get Patrick Mahomes back. But this offense, is it enough? They're going to see Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes again. And there is, as I said before, there is no identity to this offense. Does one week do anything
3: to reset them, as Brady just suggested? You know, I, I, I think they've got major issues right now, Dave. I really do. I mean, this is the worst offensive line that they've had that I can ever remember. Since Brady's been there, this is the worst yeah. offensive line that they've had. They're just not playing very well, uh, in particular left tackle and center. But even some of the guys like Shaq Mason, who have been around and have played at a high level, aren't playing. I don't know if they're not healthy or what. It's also probably the worst receiving core. If you include tight ends in that, you know, they've always had some <laughs> weapons. It really feels like Sanu, eh, Edelman's even not quite, I think, perhaps what he used to be. And it's okay. That was okay if you had a dynamic tight end when you really needed him to make plays, which they obviously do not have. Maybe they'll call, get the bat phone going and see if they can convince Rob Gronkowski to come out of retirement. But the other thing that needs to be said, David, I think all these things go together. Tom Brady does not look as good as he has typically. Now, in fairness, I can never remember ever him having to throw the ball away this often or having to get rid of it before he gets hit or sacked this often. I mean, the amount of times... That he throws the ball away or down at a guy's feet. It's like three to five times a game. And by the way, those are winning plays. That's the right play. Except when you consider it's still not a positive play. And he leads the NFL in intentional grounding. Nobody knows the rules better than Brady. For him to lead the NFL in intentional grounding gives you one indicator of just how often he's under duress and just how often he's throwing the ball away because he doesn't want to get hit was he 42 years old they're they're not in a good place right now <laughs> it's kind of crazy for a team that was undefeated you know 12 hours ago for us to be saying this but you know they are beatable and whether that is the ravens or maybe the texans or maybe if Patrick Mahomes can play and is healthy the chiefs The Patriots are definitely beatable this year, and whether that happens in in January in Foxborough or not is probably a different consideration as well. But they've got some major issues. I mean, when you talk about the O-line, the receivers, Brady, the run defense, they're not nearly what everybody, I think, was chalking them up to be. Speaking of – oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and given the way
2: this Baltimore team beat them last night, they are clearly built for late December, early January football. Whereas you can't say that about the Patriots because they are not running the football well. So usually the things you love about the Pats set up well for January, where that is reversed here with this Baltimore team. They are set up well for a deep run.
3: Speaking of setting up well, Dave, make sure you and me with some of my small business, make sure you're setting them up well with ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be a challenge. Codable co-founder Gretchen Huebner discovered that. She needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them For you its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job So you get qualified candidates fast Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter. She was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants She also used ZipRecruiter screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks with results like that. It's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ziprecruiter.com enter that ziprecruiter.com E N T E R ziprecruiter.com Slash enter ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
2: All right, one fantastic nugget from week nine on the NFL falls under the category of a little trivia for you, Ross Tucker. I love this note because I like weird things about the game. The Allens, Kyle, Josh, and Brandon Allen, 3-0, and First time in the Super Bowl era, three players, three quarterbacks rather, with the same last name, one in the same week. I'll give you the other two that started the same week, three guys, same last name. Curious how many of them you can mention. Back in 2000, three Johnsons started at quarterback. Back in 1984, three Wilsons started at quarterback. How many of those can you name, Ross Tucker? Oh,
3: man, 2,000. I'm going to go Rob Johnson. One. Brad Johnson. Easy. The other one I
2: did not get. Doug Johnson. Doug that Johnson one surprised maybe? me. Doug Johnson. I, I don't. Yes, Doug Johnson. I don't remember the Doug Johnson that lost that game for the Atlanta Falcons. All right, you did pretty well. Two of three on the Johnsons. How about whoa, whoa, the Bolsons? Whoa whoa, 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 whoa,
3: whoa, whoa, Hold a second. Oh yeah. Why was that not three of three?
2: Well, you. Oh, I. Th- I thought I said it before you got it. Did no, you? Did no, you get no, it before no, I, I said it? No, I get
3: credit for that. Oh. Don't let me oh, finish. Okay. Let me finish. I got I, Doug Johnson. I remember him playing for the Gators. For Florida, I don't remember that game he started for the Atlanta Falcons, but Doug Johnson was the only other – no, I get full credit for that because there's no way in hell I'm going to know all three Wilsons in 84, but I want credit for Rob Johnson. Rob Johnson, I'm going to say, was Buffalo Bills? Uh, Yes. Yes, Brad Johnson in 2000 would have been Washington Redskins? That is correct, sir. Very solid performance.
2: I got two or three on the Johnsons. I only got one of three on the Wilsons. 1984, how many you got?
3: Okay, 1984, I'm five years old, so this is going to be rough. I think one of them is Mark Wilson, probably for the Raiders. Damn, you're good. Yep. Okay, so that's four. Uh, Wade Wilson Vikings. Bingo, that's the one I got. Okay. One other. Okay, so that's five. Dude, if I get this, I, I am irrationally excited right now. I, am, I, I, I don't care how many guests we have. I don't care how long this damn show goes. We're not doing anything. We're not doing shit until I figure out this sixth guy. This Look, I, I need small victories in life, okay? Little things like this get me happy. Um, okay, do you want a conference or a team? No, no, not yet. Not yet. Let me see if I can just think of it first. Wade Wilson. This is, by the way, probably great, great audio and video. Me just sitting here thinking in my head. Mark Wilson, Wade Wilson.
2: We need trivia music. We need like Jeopardy, Final Jeopardy music or something for
3: for the listeners and to the viewers.
2: Yep, exactly. I'll give you 10 more seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7 six don't google it five
3: four three two okay one. Ah, 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 ah. <laughs> all right now give me a hint give me a give me a, a, a t- Saints. new orleans saints yeah i don't know doesn't have it
2: dave wilson also a wilson brother no relation to any of these guys but dave wilson new orleans saints so there you go Your Wilsons, your Johnsons, your Allens. The Allens this weekend were fantastic. We will talk about all of them, most notably Brandon Allen, the Broncos quarterback who had never taken an NFL snap, who outduels Baker Mayfield. We're going to get into that game and so much more. Head, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll talk to our good friend Andrew Beaton from the Wall Street Journal. He covers the NFL. Let's ask about the disaster that is the New York Jets. Andrew Beaton, Wall Street Journal, after a quick break. The beatdown in Baltimore handed the Patriots, their first loss since December. 37 20 210 yards rushing from the baltimore ravens that your most high profile matchup of the weekend let's talk about the lowest profile matchup of the weekend why don't we with andrew beaton the wall street journal he covers all things nfl and it is arguably every bit as interesting what's going on on the other end of the spectrum Andrew, good to have you. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. And that's what makes the NFL so beautiful. We were certain that the Dolphins had a shot to run the table 0-16, and suddenly the bags are out for the New York Jets, who managed to lose to the Dolphins. How bad has it gotten for the Jets? Can Adam Gase even survive this season?
1: You know, it's such a fascinating question, especially because if you look back just a few weeks ago, you're thinking, all right, this is a team that got Sam Darnold back. They upset a pretty good Cowboys team. And you're thinking, all right, this is a team that has a fairly easy schedule coming up. They're playing the Jaguars, then the Dolphins. They have games upcoming against teams like the Giants and the Redskins. It was reasonable to think that, hey, maybe the Jets could make a little bit of a run here after that Cowboys win. And instead... It has been as ugly of a showing in the, as there's been in the entire NFL. And you go back to this game yesterday against the Dolphins, and you have two teams, one of which traded away all of its good players in a very transparent attempt to bottom out and be as bad as possible. And then you have a team that spent $100 million in free agency. They have a second-year quarterback. They have a new coach. They're hopefully on the upswing. And that is the team that lost. So it's exactly what you're saying, that sometimes the most fascinating, the most stunning, the most incredible things can happen in the ugliest of NFL games.
3: Yeah, you know, Andrew, I, and I guess just to follow up to that, and I've thought about this, but with guys like Freddie Kitchens and Adam Gase, and there's still seven games to go, and, and we, we, we get that, or eight in some cases. But at this point, I'd be interested to hear what the argument is that those guys or their agents would even have to suggest that they should be back for more than a year. I mean, it's really pretty crazy that this is where we are with these two coaches halfway through their first year with these clubs.
1: You know, and I think they're both interesting because they're actually pretty different situations, even though we're both wondering the same exact thing about the head coach. Because in Cleveland, you can look at the roster and say, this is a team with immense talent that understandably had some fairly high expectations going into the year. I mean, you look at that defense and that you feel like that team should be competitive based on that alone. Then you add an offense that has a running weapon in Nick Chubb. You have receivers like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. And then a quarterback who played well last year this is a team that reasonably had high expectations. On the other hand, I think if you're Adam Gase's agent, you're probably saying, look, this is a situation I inherited. And yes, I want to be getting more out of Sam Darnold and to be putting him in better situations to succeed. But there's a reason that they ousted the general manager, Mike McKaganen, at the strangest of times after he spent all this money in free agency and did the draft for them. And so if you're his agent you're probably saying look this is a team that is really talent barren," and saying you know we need to rebuild the entire offensive line we need to rebuild the secondary we need pretty much everything and i think that's the plea you make if you're adam Gase. and i think it's more difficult to understand if you're freddie kitchens how you can argue a team with that much talent is underperforming to this level and is once again in the race for a pretty high draft pick But it's fascinating because both of these teams are probably looking at these head coaches and saying, we want some sense of stability. These are two franchises that have had a real lack of that for so long. And the idea for both of those teams of now firing a coach a year in, is the smart decision? Very possibly, because you just want to cut your losses when you see something's not working. But on the other hand, you can also see why it might be difficult for an owner, for a front office to say, all right, this is a franchise that has lacked stability, and we're about to go through this whole ring around again.
2: Talking to Andrew Beaton from the Wall Street Journal, covers the NFL for the Journal. And I do want to get to the winning teams in this league, but I can't help when I look at the top to the bottom roster and their situations moving forward. Again, on the Jets and the Dolphins, Miami has more than $100 in cap space. They have nine picks in the first two rounds the next two years. A year ago, it was thought that the Jets made the right call. They got Sam Darnold. They got a Hall of Fame running back. At this point, which which roster complete with cap space and draft picks would you rather have right now building for the next five years?
1: You know, I still probably go with the Jets because the toughest question to answer in football is quarterback, and I'm someone who happens to believe in Sam Darnold, and I think he's just been put in positions to fail for the most part over the last couple years, given he, last year in particular, he had a lot of issues at receiver, barely had any pass catchers. This year, I think you can put up the Jets' line as one of the worst in the league, and you can point to the play calling and saying, this is putting Sam Darnold in a position to fail. And the issue with the Dolphins is they have a lot more upside, right? Because they have all this cap room and this immense number of draft assets as you're getting into. But the question is, how consistently can you expect someone to hit on all those draft picks, hit on those free agents? Because look at the players they had to give away in order to get those draft picks. They're really the types of players that you want to be building around, too. Are you sure that you're going to get another Minka Fitzpatrick? Are you sure you're going to get at Laramie Tunsil? You know, Ross, I'd be fascinated to hear what you think about this because everyone assumes that these high draft picks means that they're going to be stocked with talent. But on the other hand, we know that not all these picks hit.
3: No, and I'm with you, Andrew. I'm a little surprised by both of those, especially when you consider how well Tunsil and especially Minka Fitzpatrick have played elsewhere. I would have thought that those were some of the pieces to build around moving forward, those two guys, Xavier and Howard, that those were at least the building blocks, and then you trade other guys, the Tannehills, the Robert Quinns, and build that way. And I guess that's my issue, if anything, with the Dolphins is, okay, I understand that they're trying to stockpile assets, get as much cap space as possible, so that they have success in future years, sustained success 2020 and beyond, but now they might not even get the number one pick. So they might not even get their choice at quarterback. So to your point, how do they get that guy? And by the way, even if they do still get the number one pick at quarterback, and it's Tua tunga he has stayed healthy for exactly zero of his two college football seasons. Now they want to put him behind that Miami Dolphins offensive line a year from now. I understand the thought process. I understand the strategy. I would have liked to have seen them keep some of their guys. I think the Tumsil deal was probably too good to pass up. The Minka Fitzpatrick one week can debate. Uh, but it's kind of weird that if you tank but you don't get the number one pick, was the tanking worth it in the first place?
1: And I think what's so interesting about this is to loop in another team we've talked about is the Browns are the cautionary tale here, right? Because this is a team that was bad for a while. In some instances, they were clearly hoarding cap space, trading away for future draft picks like we've seen the Dolphins doing. And what did it net them? It has them featuring a quarterback who we're still not really sure about in Baker Mayfield, the guy who they wanted with that number one pick. They have a lot of players That you can say are talented, but is this a complete roster? And I think that's what you risk here. And so the Cleveland Browns are the team that theoretically the Dolphins were molding themselves after. And how many wins does this Cleveland Browns team have to show for that strategy right now? They have two wins, exactly, which is one more than the Dolphins. And that can't be that encouraging. All right, I want to ask you about
2: Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, the, the attention, again, on his feet. He wore the wrong cleats, was told in the locker room alongside Jarvis Landry to change at halftime or not play. He did change the cleats, comes back out, and makes headlines again after the game. It was reported that he told Jay Feely that he can't get the ball to save his life. He later denied that in post-game remarks. Uh, he is just lost out there. The, the talent still remains. Baker Mayfield is not looking in his direction. He's not throwing to him in the end zone. He's not throwing to him in crucial situations. Is he a guy that the Cleveland Browns ought to ship? I mean, the trade deadline has passed, but how has he made them any better?
1: You know, it's difficult to say he has this season, but it, in so many instances, wide receivers can be product of their quarterbacks, whether that's them making the throws, whether that's get them getting the targets. And I think this really folds back into what Ross was bringing up at the beginning of our conversation, which is what do you do with Freddie Kitchens at this point? And if he is someone who, who is supposed to – you hire him as your head coach because of what he did with the offense last year after Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley were fired. So if, Hugh, if Freddie Kitchens is that guy and he's that offensive mastermind who's supposed to bring this offense to the next level, how can you not maximize the talents of Odell Beckham Jr.? And so given the contract he's had and the season that he's had, I think the play would probably be to hold on to him because given how much you gave up for him, given how much he might actually get this offseason, which you wouldn't be that sure about after all these things you're ticking through, I think the move might be, all right, let's see what a different coach can do with the talents of Baker Mayfield, with Odell Beckham Jr., with Jarvis Landry. And maybe if they're able to spend some of their offseason resources on improving that offensive line someone like Beckham can thrive more Mayfield might have a little bit more time to succeed but it's an ugly situation and I think Ross would know know more about this than anyone else because he's been a player in an NFL locker room but it's important I think for NFL coaches to be able to throttle and handle these situations and for them to be able to take a locker room when it might have some discontented players and say you know what, we can go on a run here. Let's not say things that could damage that. Maybe we have an outside shot as a playoff berth. And do we see that happening from Freddie Kitchens right now? I'm not so sure we do. We see a lot of leaks coming out of there that would have to be disconcerting if you're someone who wants to believe in this team.
3: Yeah, you know, and and one guy I believe in and checking your Twitter, Andrew, I know you do as well. And that is Andy Reid. I wanted to get one more question on him before we let you go, because to me, you know, a great way to judge quarterbacks is how they perform when their offensive lines beat up, or they don't have weapons around them. And with coaches, a great way to judge them is what they're able to do with backup quarterbacks. I grew up and live outside of Philadelphia and how many backup quarterbacks that Andy Reid have come through, the A.J. Feelys and Coy Detmers, Kevin Cobb, uh, even Vic when he was a backup, and later on Nick Foles. I mean, the success that Andy Reid had with so many different backup quarterbacks is extremely impressive, and he's doing it yet again with Matt Moore. I thought that was as significant as anything yesterday in the NFL was the win for the Chiefs against a good Vikings team with Matt Moore at the helm.
1: Couldn't agree with you more on everything you just said. It's really fascinating to think about what Matt Moore was able to do in the context of, this is a guy who in August was getting ready to coach his high school football team. He wakes up early in the morning, gets a phone call from Andy Reid, and there he is and says, yeah, I'll come back up Patrick Mahomes. And if you're him, you're thinking, man— this is kind of a great job, right? You're getting paid, you're sitting behind the best player in the entire NFL, and you're very possibly going on a Super Bowl run. Then all of a sudden that player gets hurt. You're thrown into the action. But when he's thrown into the action, he has that head coach who can put any of his players in a situation to succeed. Andy Reid has never been someone who is scheme beholden and says, my players have to play this one exact way. And if they don't fit, I'm going to try and shove a square peg in a round hole. He is someone who's able to coach his players up. He is someone who's able to scheme around their talents and their deficiencies. And he's able to coach Matt, Matt Moore led offense into a win against a pretty difficult Minnesota Vikings team. And to your point, this is what you see All of the really, really good coaches do. It's how you see Bill Belichick have such a good season with Matt Castle at quarterback. It's how you see a team like the Eagles a couple years ago win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, who is obviously a much better than average backup, but it still takes a lot for Doug Peterson for that guy to come in and lead this team all the way. So what Andy Reid was able to do with Matt Moore and keep this team afloat, because all of a sudden, if this team starts slipping, you're starting wondering, all right, are they – Can a team like the Chargers creep in and take the AFC West? The Raiders aren't playing terribly. It starts to get pretty reasonable to ask questions about how the Chiefs might finish this season. But when they win this game, they get that sixth win, and you're possibly getting Mahomes back for the next game. It completely changes the course of the season, and that is all on good head coaching, great head coaching.
2: No doubt about that. Andrew Beaton, Wall Street Journal. Good to have you, man.
1: Thanks so much, guys. Have a great Monday.
2: And you. All right, so the Chiefs were impressive in getting by the Vikes. That's a game the Vikings have to win. Uh, Look, Kirk Cousins throws three touchdowns. I know Andy Reid is just an impressive uh, game planner. But look, isn't this a game Kirk Cousins has to find a way to win against Matt Moore? Obviously the biggest play of the game, the 91-yard touchdown run from Damian Williams-Ross, the longest run of the season in the NFL just feels like if you're the Minnesota Vikings, that exposed a fatal flaw.
3: By the way, how come every time we talk about the Minnesota Vikings, all I want to do is the Minnesota Vikings? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have no idea what in the world you're talking about. What is that? Um, I got to pull it up. You've <laughs> never seen the – this. you never heard the song Truth Hurts by Lizzo? No idea what that is. I I does it I.
2: What is this from games? Is this from uh, the radio? No,
3: this is a very popular song on the radio. And every time we talk about Minnesota Vikings, all I want to do is think, Why men great till they gotta be great? Don't text me, tell it straight to my face. Best friend set me down in the salon chair. Shampoo press, get you out of my hair. Fresh photos with the bomb lighting. New man on the Minnesota Vikings earth needed something more exciting. Bum bum wow. bida da ba bum bum bay. You've heard that song.
2: That that is on that is a gem. That is a new bestseller. You've you heard, you heard that Tucker song. right? Tape. If I do, your voice didn't help
3: jog the memory. I oh, don't how know about it, this man. How about this part? You ready? How about this part? You tried to break my heart? Oh, that breaks my heart. That you thought you ever had it. No, you ain't from the start. Hey, I'm glad you're back. With your bit, yeah, uh, I'm not gonna say that word. I mean, you wanna hide? I will never, ever, ever, ever be your side. I put the sing in single. Ain't worried about a ring on my finger, so you can tell your friend, shoot your shot when you see him It's okay, he already in my DMS. So you've never heard that song? Yes, you have. Should we have, have any
2: listeners or viewers remaining I apologize I'm going to have to look at it on iTunes perhaps I mean I'm not I'm not knocking the quality of your voice cuz your voice is beautiful it is poetic but right now where we sit right now nothing it is doing nothing for me not jogging a single memory but I'll check it out on iTunes do you know the name of the tune uh Truth Hurts
3: by Lizzo. Yeah, Truth Truth Hurts Hurts by Lizzo. And all I'm saying is, anytime I think about or talk about the Minnesota Vikings, that song comes to my head. You know what's funny? I think, and we talked about this a little bit with Andrew, but don't you think, Dave, and we actually talked about this, you and I, last week, talking about Bill Belichick and Joe Gibbs, but I think how you do with a backup quarterback is a great indicator of how good of a coach you are And, look, Belichick's been terrific with backup quarterbacks, just hasn't had ultimate success with them in terms of playoffs and stuff. But for quarterbacks, I also think how you perform in the fourth quarter, how you perform late in games that are close, is a really good indicator as well, in addition to how you do when you don't have great weapons around you. And on that level, to your point, Dave, Yesterday was a terrific evaluation for Andy Reid. Yet again, having a guy they got off the couch have a huge win. I mean, that, that was a gigantic swing game for both the Chiefs and the Vikings. I'm telling you, Dave, if the Chiefs lost that game, I would have really gotten into my spiel about the Patrick Mahomes cost-benefit analysis. If they had lost yet another one and whether or not it makes sense to bring him back at all this year, I would have really gone down that road, but he was able to, to get the win with Matt Moore as Andy Reid so often does. And now they got a couple easier games coming up. And now I feel a little bit differently. Meanwhile, for Kirk cousins, he is almost always statistically solid, statistically good. It just so happens that it doesn't seem like he gets it done late in games that often And I don't like to be a guy that doesn't have stats in front of me or data to back that up. Uh, we do have the data to back me up that he's very solid statistically. And he was even solid against the against the Chiefs yesterday. But certain quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, it just seems like Aaron Rodgers typically, it just seems like when they get the ball late in a close game, you you just expect them to do it. You you just think, yeah, here, here he goes. Gonna get a touchdown or a field goal. I mean, when that Bucks Seahawks game went to overtime and the Seahawks got the ball, I was like, thousand percent chance Russell Wilson takes Seahawks down. They win, and my bet of Bucks plus six blows up in my face because the kicker for the Seahawks is a moron that didn't make that kick at the end of regular. That's a whole other story. Anyway. It's a whole other topic. Uh, But for Kirk Cousins, Dave, when he gets the ball in those situations, you're almost like, yeah, I doubt it. I doubt he's going to be able to get this done. That's That's a really telling thing. It's a really good indicator of what you think of a quarterback when they get the ball with three minutes left and what your gut tells you based on previous experience of what they're about to get done.
2: Yes, and it is the exact Opposite feeling you get to take you to your painful experience with Seattle exact opposite experience you have when Russell Wilson takes that ball and that's why Russell Wilson right now to transition to that game is just clearly the NFL MVP right now 22 interceptions 22 touchdowns one interception on the season Russell Wilson gets the ball and you feel that opposite way that Kirk Cousins does. Russell Wilson is playing just about flawless right now. They had a chance to put this away. They have to go to overtime. Seahawks do win it 40 to 34. And uh, just another brilliant performance by Wilson, 378 yards and five touchdowns in this game. And think about the receiving core for Seattle. Now they feel like they are getting closer to being the group that Russell Wilson needs. Lockett and Metcalf combined for 19 catches, 285 yards, three touchdowns, and that's a receiving core that is getting Josh Gordon. We assume he would be on the football field this season. Seattle now 7-2. Preview Monday Night Football, week from tonight, at San Francisco. Arguably the great game uh, of the week next week. But Russell Wilson playing at another level. And on the flip side of that one, Have you just, have we all made up our mind as to what Jameis Winston is? He is the guy with very high highs and just a lot of lows. He had the two touchdown passes. He had a great scramble for a touchdown that was called back. But ultimately, if you think of that game for Jameis Winston, you think of the Florida State empty-handed throw, Ball comes out almost exactly like we saw during his season at Florida State that made him the number one pick in the NFL draft. So the question is on one hand, Russell Wilson, best he's ever played, clearly in the MVP conversation. But Jameis Winston, is that type of player with those highs and those lows a starting quarterback in the NFL?
3: He is a starting quarterback in the NFL if you are a team that needs a starting quarterback. And you are content with being 500 because that's where Jameis Winston's going to live. Now, in fairness to Jameis, the bucks did put up 34 points on the road in Seattle, but he also at least once a game and usually more has a play that is just inexplicable. This time it was the ball just came out of his hand. He didn't get his arm hit. It wasn't raining. Just, That's what happened. And it seems like that happens to him a lot. He actually, I love watching Jameis Winston play because he's almost like a, uh, he's almost like a baby giraffe. Like when he's back there, his limbs are like all over the place when he's about to throw. Like he's, he's, he's entertaining to watch from a standpoint of being all over the place with his arms and legs before he actually Fumbles or throws a pick or throws a touchdown or whatever he does. He I mean, I enjoy watching him. I he is unintentionally, I think, funny to watch. Last note on that game.
2: Is the Seattle defense ultimately a fatal flaw? Can you be a contender in the NFC when you give up 34 points to Tampa Bay at home?
3: I don't think so. I don't think you can. Really. I, mean, I think Russell Wilson gives him a chance, Dave, but they're certainly behind the New Orleans Saints, and the San Francisco 49ers in my mind, and probably significantly behind. I mean, you know, those are clearly the two best teams. I'd put Green Bay three. You know, I do power rankings every Tuesday. You know, maybe I would put Seattle four, but i definitely put them behind the first three, especially the Saints and the Niners. I mean, Saints and Niners look like they are on the path to getting those buys. By the
2: way, I hope everyone... Listen to the Drew Brees Purdue pump-up speech on Saturday. We'll see if we can get that for you later in the program. Nobody delivers a better hype speech than Drew Brees on the bye week uh, at his alma mater. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about those Green Bay Packers that Ross mentioned there. What in the hell happened to them? If you drop me on this planet... Having slept through the first eight weeks, I would think that was a team in contention for the number one pick in the NFL draft. How does a team so good play so bad? And breaking news out of the Cleveland Browns, a guy that threatened to kill a man on Twitter after a loss against the Broncos waved this morning by the Browns. You won't believe what the Browns safety, now former safety, tweeted on Sunday night. Back after a quick break. Cleveland Browns player threatened to kill a man on Twitter after Sunday's loss to the Broncos. That will not surprise you. That player has been waived. We'll talk about that. And where does this Browns season go from here? The schedule looked beautiful for them to find a way into the postseason. Not so much anymore. Uh, Big old football Monday on home and home. Radio.com Sports Original. We are brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now. It's ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker is home in Pennsylvania. A lot to get to in the next hour, including Mike Borman. They call him Chico92.3, the fan in Cleveland. He will talk about all things Brown related. It is getting ugly there. And in the 10 o'clock hour, Jonas Schaefer joins us from the Baltimore Sun to talk about the dominant effort by Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens run game against Bill Belichick's defense. But Ross, let's start with this big news. Jermaine Whitehead, the Cleveland Browns safety, who was a debacle on the football field Sunday. Uh, The tackling effort was just truly something to see. But it was on social media where things truly got ugly after the Browns lost to the Broncos when there were people going after Jermaine Whitehead on Twitter and he did not take to that well to say the least. On one hand, tweeting, don't get shot at, little bitch. Can you whoop my ass? F football. Let me know when you need the address. As in handing out his address on Twitter, which he later did tweeting out his actual home address any effing day of the week. Cracker, he wasn't done. The Browns' safety, Jermaine Whitehead, later tweeting to someone, I'm a kill you, bitch. That's on blood. And later, Twitter suspended the account. The Browns called those tweets inappropriate, only now waiving him. Uh, I don't know why, Ross, this was not a bigger story late Sunday night and early Monday morning. It seems one of those things, because the tweets were deleted and the account suspended, perhaps the mainstream sports media is just now getting wind of all of this. Um, Now, to begin with, fans are highly inappropriate on Twitter, and they were to Jermaine Whitehead. This may be the reason why football players should stay off the platform if they can't take the at replies.
3: Well, you're exactly right. And I think by the way, I think that that is actually the uh the address for the Cleveland Browns team facility unless he just lives like on that same block because the the Browns facility is Lou Groza Boulevard in Berea, Ohio. So Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah, so I don't know, maybe he lives that right down the street, but it doesn't matter. Uh This is obviously not behavior you can have. You know, he did not have a good game. He started every game this year for them. Evidently, he has a broken hand uh, that he said in in a tweet to Dustin Fox that that is what is hurting him from tackling. He had a tough time handling the criticism. Here's the response to Dustin Fox, who had mentioned that whiteheads uh, tackling. Was atrocious. I, I don't even know how to. It sounds almost weird saying it calmly, but put it back up, please. Come get it in blood, bitch, made ass little boy. I'm out there with a broke hand. Don't get smoked, f word ass cracker. So, yeah, I mean, he was uh, he was he was on it and one of the real dangers of social media is that it can be immediate when a guy is in a bad place. And, you know, I can tell you right now, Dave, there were times during my career that I would not have been in a good place to be looking at people criticizing me and responding to it. Right? Like after a big game, tough game, you know, you're already stressed up enough about stressed out enough about your performance. You have anxiety, all of those things. You know, what it means for your future, what it means for your job, all of that stuff. And then you get all of this criticism. That can be tough for anybody in their early to mid twenties to deal with. Obviously, Whitehead did not deal with it very well. And and now the Browns have moved on from their starting safety which I I doubt that they really wanted to do, but I think he pretty much left them with no choice. That was really, really ugly and a bad look for both the Browns and the NFL.
2: Boy, if you saw his tackling effort along with the secondary on Noah Fant's touchdown, uh, it it would be hard-pressed to believe that that guy was an NFL safety. That's just one play, one bad play, but boy, that was a tackling drill gone wrong for the Cleveland Browns and everything has gone wrong for the Cleveland Browns. Now, two and six, it looked like one of those pivot points in the season. When you looked at the second half of the schedule, it actually sets up very well for the Cleveland Browns to rebound, to make a run, maybe to get to eight and eight or nine and seven and sneak their way in the playoffs. Now, it seems like everything is just going circling the drain for the Cleveland Browns. And then you look at Baker Mayfield after Sunday's loss to the Broncos, and now this is a loss to Brandon Allen, who look like look a lot like Kyle Allen, quite frankly, in that they're about the same height, about the same weight, move around well, make good decisions, and don't throw bad footballs. Very similar football players, I thought. Ironically, no relation, but Baker Mayfield has to beat Brandon Allen. Period. He's got to beat him 10 out of 10 times, and Baker Mayfield just can't get it right right now, despite the fact that Nick Chubb is one of the better running backs in the game. And we just got to show you this picture of Baker Mayfield after the game, which is so emblematic, I think, of the body language you're seeing from Baker Mayfield and the entire organization, just kind of angry, downtrodden. Perhaps we don't have that photo, but Baker rocking this uh, trench coat look, all out of sorts. Let's listen to Baker right now.
0: Um, we just didn't make the plays when they're there. Uh, I feel like we had a good plan, um, so did they, but it, it comes down to just executing. Um, singular focus on the next week ahead, you know, look at the film, see
1: exactly what happened. Um, you know obviously we, we know not getting touchdowns in the red zone is is the biggest problem, but we'll see exactly why. Um, address that
2: uh,
3: in singular focus, moving forward. Uh, another AFC opponent next week and a good one at that.
2: Baker Mayfield, after the loss to the Broncos, 24-19, Cleveland is now two and six, and this suddenly feels like a team who could find themselves in contention for a top five, six, or seven pick because nothing is going right for Cleveland. That defense should have chewed up the Denver Bronco offense, knowing Philip Lindsay was going to be the guy they go to early and often. Lindsay needed nine carries, nine carries for 92 yards and a touchdown. I thought, Ross, this Cleveland season would turn itself around once they got through the hard top part of the schedule and faced a pretty easy path. Now it feels very combustible and like Freddie Kitchens is just once again in way over his head. Can he survive this season? It doesn't look like an organization that wants to make an in-season change, but a guy is clearly outclassed.
3: Yeah, I think it's probably unlikely. Uh, I mean, it's possible, uh, but they would have to go on an epic run here down the second half of the season. I mean, they have really invested a lot in this season. You think about the Odell Beckham Jr. trade, and to have it go like this, and just think about, I mean, just think about in the last four days, five days, you had Baker Mayfield storm off after he was asked what I thought was a, not a great question, but a fine question. You know, there's a lot of questions that aren't great questions when you're a player and it's a beat writer asking you a question, but you answer it as best you can. So you had the quarterback, Stormoff, who, by the way, we played that audio. He really sounds like a beaten man. I mean, he, he sounds, he he sounded so defeated. Maybe that's okay. Maybe that's the... Maybe that's the tone he should take after a loss like that. But he just sounds like he's beaten down. You know, all of the success he had at Oklahoma last year, things went so well. He just, he really sounds like this is wearing on him. But to summarize, Freddie Kitchens makes some of the worst in-game decisions I've ever seen. That's number one. Number two, his quarterback stormed off away from the media, had a media meltdown last week. Then his wide receivers both had to change their shoes at halftime because they wore shoes that were not allowed on an NFL field. Good thing that was their priority, and that was their focus. Then you have your safety go on a Twitter tirade, threatening to kill people after the game. I mean, Dave, we talked about it a little bit earlier with Andrew. What would be – like? Pretend you're Freddie Kitchens, okay? Mm-hmm. What would be your selling point if I was Jimmy Haslam and I was saying, Freddie, we're debating whether or not to bring you back. Like what do you even say? what What's even like your pitch? You, I mean, you have not you got nothing. You have no pitch.
2: I can't think of one thing that is getting better. Now, it looked like they found a rhythm that would work. A couple of weeks ago with leaning on Nick Chubb first, running the play action off of that, taking away a few more progressions from Baker Mayfield. Look, make him make him like a two read quarterback, simplify the offense. Nothing is getting better for the Cleveland Browns, not the offense, not the defense not the special teams. They are the most penalized team in the league, and that continues to haunt them each and every week. And you can just feel the frustration, not just on Baker Mayfield, but in particular on Odell Beckham Jr. You mentioned the cleat thing, but he was clearly unhappy after that performance. Uh, Game on the line, Baker Mayfield doesn't look his way, looked like OBJ had a step on Chris Harris in the end zone for a touchdown that would have won that game. And look, it's not a bad game for Beckham when all is said and done. Five catches, more than 80 yards. But in the end, 39 catches for Odell Beckham Jr. got to be kidding me. Christian McCaffrey has 42 out of the backfield for the Carolina Panthers. He feels like a guy who is very frustrated and just so emblematic of everything with this Cleveland team clearly was not a trade that has improved them. Baker Mayfield doesn't like to lock in on any one receiver even if they have one of the top 3 or 4 guys in the league. Boy, the schedule is still favorable and here it is. After Buffalo, which is a tough game certainly given their defense, they go Pittsburgh, Miami, Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, Arizona, then Baltimore, a tough one and finish with Cincinnati again at Cincinnati in week 17 still it's all out there for the Cleveland Browns to maybe make a run towards the playoffs it ain't gonna happen it's not going to happen this team is not going to circle the wagons because they don't have that guy in the locker room to lead them to get things moving in the right direction feels like the Philadelphia Eagles might have that though in Carson Wentz they are beginning to get it going. They have established the ground game. That is clearly what they are. They are a run-first team, and Jordan Howard got his revenge. Uh, Doug Peterson, though, earlier this morning on WIP, talking about Carson Wentz and how he's beginning to find that rhythm and get it going for the Eagles.
0: Yeah, it's, he's really he's really kind of come into his own. You know, I think, I think it too it comes <laughs> with your experience with playing and just – just feeling the game and uh, understanding more of the offense, uh, sort of where everybody is going to be on a particular pass route, what we ask him to do in the run game, you know. And, and so from that standpoint, he's and he's a sharp guy, um, and and so he's he's just he's just he's he's playing the position, you know. And, and we keep coaching him up and and and, uh, and 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 really, you know, let him let him be him. But at the same time, you know, uh, use use the whole field, use the offense. Um, spread the ball around and 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 make some plays. And gosh, he 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 played well yesterday. He stood in there tough many times. Took some took some hits, but delivered some good good footballs and accurate throws. And you know that's what you want from your quarterback. It's uh, it's something that uh, you know. Obviously, we continue to grow with him, and um, you know some exciting things are, are are coming not only with him but hopefully with our offense down the road. Take notes, Freddie Kitchens. Take
2: notes from what Doug Peterson is doing with Carson Wentz. He was struggling earlier this year. It does look like Peterson has simplified things. Now they're getting nothing. From their wide receivers there, absolutely nothing. Deshaun Jackson returned for about five minutes. He is soft, and he is on the shelf yet again. Alshon Jeffrey looks like he is cooked. So what do they do? They rely on the tight ends and finally start getting the ball to Zach Ertz. Nine catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. They get four more from Dallas Goddard. One of the best groups of tight end, if not the best in the NFL. Simplify things. Start with the ground game. Jordan Howard has been fantastic. Phillies won two in a row. They're five and four, and you can certainly start to feel it coming for the Eagles. I know you were there. What'd you think?
3: Uh, yeah, well, here's the deal. Uh, there's good uh, there's pros and cons, good news and bad news for the Eagles, right? The good news is they ran the ball very well again. Uh, the defense played pretty good against the Bears team. Holy crap, Dave. I mean, we'll <laughs> oh, get into brutal. it, but I, w- I was yeah. at the game at one point right before halftime. The Chicago Bears had negative 10 yards of offense for the first half. I think they threw like some, you know, little screen to get in positive yardage at halftime, but it was Nine. ugly. Uh, is that how many they had?
2: They had nine
3: yards, nine times, nine yards yards
2: in the first half. Nine times. And it was 19 to nothing. That is an awful football team, which we will get to in a moment, but continue.
3: Yeah, so, but for the Eagles, the negative is, and the positive is, once again, they closed out the game at the end. Doug Peterson was masterful with the screen calls on that last drive. They sealed the game. It was only 19-14. They possessed the ball for like eight minutes, went down. Wentz made the right plays. They get the field goal to go up by eight. They win 22-14, which is probably about what you thought the score would be going into that one, even though they got off to such a good start. But they still have some concerns, Dave. And the biggest one is the wide receiver position. Look, I'm always a little uncomfortable talking about medical stuff without having more information I did think it was weird that Deshaun Jackson came back to play in the game the week before the bye. Seemed to me like it would have made sense to give him two more full weeks so he could get fully healthy. Then again, the, the, the injury's been described to me like a sports hernia, core muscle injury. I don't know why he didn't have the surgery in the first place. So maybe that I don't know what the injury is. Maybe we don't have enough information there. But you combine Deshaun Jackson playing a handful of plays in the first quarter before he gets hurt and three drops by Alshon Jeffrey, and the Eagles have major issues at wide receiver. And frankly, for them to have a chance to be a Super Bowl contender, they need a healthy Deshaun Jackson. I don't know if that's going to happen at this point this season, and they need Alshon Jeffrey to not drop the ball. I mean, he doesn't get any separation anymore. He does not run very well. At a minimum, he has to catch the ball when it comes to him. He didn't do that. The good news for the Eagles is Zach Ertz is a total stud, and they were able to run the ball pretty well, and the defense played well enough to win. It's just not going to be good enough for the the big dreams and aspirations the Eagles had for this season.
2: No, and speaking of not good enough, uh, Chicago has ruled. I mean, look, the entire NFL – has seen what Mitch Trubisky can do. And it is awful. You talk about the nine yards they have in the first half. Mitch Trubisky completed 10 passes in an NFL game. 10 passes, 10 for 21 in this game, 125 yards. The Bears have lost their third straight. As stunning as it is, that Philly didn't make a deadline acquisition at the wide receiver position, perhaps making a run at A.J. Green or or some of the wide receivers that may have come available late. More stunning that the Chicago Bears are standing pat with Mitch Trubisky knowing this season is going south
3: fast. No, and you know what, Dave? Uh, I really thought, and I was surprised that Mitch Trubisky was not benched at halftime. I, I, I got to think that Matt Nagy was strongly considering it. He said afterwards that he wasn't. But I, I even tweeted this during the game from the stands at Ross Tucker NFL. He's at Dave Briggs TV. We are at RDC home and home. Make sure you're following us so you don't miss anything, such as the Lizzo Truth Hurts song that they just tweeted out. Uh, To try to make me look bad. That's okay. I'm I'm a good singer. What can I tell you? I know what people come for. You are. I know what the people like. Okay? Uh, And you know what they they don't like? They don't like the Bears. They don't like the Bears offense. It was a really tough watch. A really tough watch. And the thing that's probably most evident is that they just don't trust him. They just run all these little tiny screens and Tariq Cohen screens and wide receiver screens. It's like... They really, like, don't trust Trubisky to stand in the pocket and deliver the ball, and I don't blame him because when he does do that, it doesn't look good. He's a lot better when they get him on the move. I don't know why they don't run him more. I would run – if I were the Bears, I would run the Baltimore Ravens offense. That's what I would run. I don't know why they don't do it. I know he's not Lamar Jackson, but Trubisky's athletic. He's a good athlete, and I'm surprised they don't do that.
2: Yeah, I think we're not seeing enough of that, whether it's Philadelphia or Cleveland when your quarterback is struggling. Simplify things, lean on the run game, try to get him right. Mitchell Trubisky, not entirely clear if he is even a backup quarterback in this league because he completely looks